everyone. Today's guest on Fashion for All, the Smart Glamour podcast, is Holly Shays. Holly falls under the media category of types of guests we'll be chatting with on the podcast. I'll let her introduce herself properly. We touch on how she got into her career as a personal stylist, how she views fashion as a multi-sensory experience, why she started her podcast, how she liked to see the stylist industry change, and some advice for folks who feel that tackling their closet seems like an overwhelming task. Enjoy our conversation. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining Thanks me. Thanks for having me. Could you please introduce yourself? Yes, I'm Holly Shays. I'm a personal stylist and podcast host of Talking About Clothes with Holly Shays, where I talk about clothes with people who wear them. <laughs> That's uh, probably a wide net then. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is the whole point. It's We all wear clothing. You know, I heard that somewhere. Um, so let's talk about stylist stuff first. So how did you get into being a stylist? Yeah, so I studied costume design in college and then moved to New York and realized pretty quickly that it's not what I wanted to be doing for a career for decades to come. I was much more interested in helping individuals find their own sense of personal style and their own sense of themselves and all of the beautiful things that being in touch with your personal style can mean for your life and the career you can have and the things you can go for and the things you can do and the adventures you can have and all of that. So that's really how I shifted and pivoted. Um, that's awesome. I mean, that's definitely what I'm interested in when it comes to fashion design also myself. Um, so when you decided to start becoming a stylist, like, I mean, how do you, how does one even begin that journey? You know, like, like what, (laughs) what, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was really honing in on how I wanted to approach styling. A lot of stylists come at it from a shopping perspective or a personal organization decluttering perspective. And I come from it much more similarly to how like maybe a life coach would or some sort of coach Mm. would. Um, I also sometimes say that I'm a personal style coach and consultant, just depending on who I'm talking to and if they know what personal styling even is. Um, I... I approach it Mm -hmm. from a very internal, we do the internal stuff and then we present it to the external. Uh, So I started by starting to do that, starting to talk to people about clothes and what their style was and what they wanted it to be and what are some of the things getting in the way and how do we take concrete actions even when we can't drop $10,000 on a new wardrobe and replacing everything when that's just not, it might be feasible, but it's not an intelligent way to go about doing it. There's, there's so much that clothing touches that we don't realize it touches before we start working with our personal style and realizing how much baggage we've taken on from what we should wear or what we think we should wear or what someone in our family is going to comment on when we finally wear it, even though we love it, and really getting to a point where we can embrace ultimately who we are and express that through our clothing. Yeah. So I love I love everything that you just said. Um, 
but fr- from the like uh like more like logistical aspect of it like how do people find you and then like what are you setting up well now it's COVID so I'm assuming it's probably virtual but are you setting up like an appointment to just like get a feel for them and see what they need and then you like come up with a plan from there yeah so it's I find people find me and I find clients significantly through word of mouth it's a lot of somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who needs something who gets referred to me and the way my services are structured, it all starts with a small coaching package. And then we add on practical things on top of that. So we start with a, like I said, the small coaching package, and then we can either add closet cleansing, or we can add a wardrobe styling or shopping or any of that stuff or all of that stuff on top of that Mm -hmm. coaching, because I found that it's really the combination of the two. Like you can't wear your personal style if you don't know what that is. So through the, Mm. the verbal and the coaching and the almost, I mean, all of everything is virtual now, but even when I was doing (laughs) in-person stuff, the coaching was still virtual. So you could be in your space and very Mm. comfortable before you have to have a stranger in there digging around in your closet with you. Hmm. Um, would you say that most of the folks that come to you are looking for some kind of like, you know, full, I feel like I have no sense of what I'm doing. Please help me completely redo my wardrobe or, or do you have a good mix of like people who need help with something like specific versus an overall? Yeah, I have an, I have a pretty good mix of both. Um, a lot of times someone will come to me because they have something impending, like um, a big one will be like a family event coming up, or like they have to go to a wedding, or I had one client come to me because she realized that she was a small business owner, and she realized that her style and her brand were so connected, and that to get the clients she was trying to go for, she was going to need to go to conferences like pre COVID This was mm. when traveling was still mm-hmm. a thing. And she w- found herself like yeah. crying when she was getting packed for a business trip. Cause like, what do you wear when most of your work is virtual and most of it's asynchronistic. And so you have a couple zoom calls with clients, but like, you don't have to see them every day. And then like you have to pack for a trip where you're going to see them every day for potentially a whole long weekend or a whole week or like what, what do you do at that point? So we came up with a day-to-day capsule wardrobe that could also work for business travel and could also mean that she's showing up in her business as her best self because ultimately that's what her business needs of her. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting to me. I think that uh, my biggest kind of like barrier or dislike of fashion from like a very early age is how pretentious and exclusive Mm -hmm. it is um and now as a a business owner I've kind of changed the lens with which I attack that because I think a lot of it has to do with like actual physical access like things don't actually come in your size or things are too expensive or whatever but when I was younger it really was about like you know, fashion, like capital F fashion, big fashion, mainstream fashion, 
does this whole like aspirational thing because it thinks that that's how you can get people to buy things. Like if we, if we make you feel like you are without, then you will feel like you need to purchase. But, but something that I've seen is kind of the, the opposite effect of that. Like people see that and go, Oh, so that's not for me. Mm -hmm. So they choose to not to participate at all. Um, is that something that you you see like becoming a, like a barrier and that's why people feel like they need to come to you to chat about Absolutely. it? Absolutely. I mean, I see that as a barrier that people think they need to overcome so they come to me. And I see that as a barrier mm-hmm. that people think they can't hire me. Like I've, I've had people mm-hmm. be like, that's not, I'm not the type of person who has a personal stylist. And I'm like, Right. You yes, I'm a personal stylist and also like you have this huge confidence issue. You are this incredible person that is not showing up in the way that you could be. And and mm-hmm. you're putting up barriers to your awesomeness that we could take down. And that's really why I start with the coaching because there's, there's so much there and we can ground it in clothing and come back to it. So it doesn't become a therapy session. Like we're going to just level up the jacket that you're wearing just a little bit. We're just going to tailor it. So it fits a little bit better and then Mm -hmm. keep it very grounded, but still you're showing up in a more tailored jacket, which is changing your posture, which is changing how you walk into a room, which is changing how people perceive you and how you perceive Mm -hmm. yourself. So that's the whole exclusivity. And that's even before we get into percentages of the market versus percentages of the population when we get into body sizes and shapes and proportions and measurements and sizing and that's a whole other thing. And that's before we even then get into like disposable fashion. And before we get into care instructions, like ugh, so much there. <laughs> uh, there's so much there. And it's, it's a large part of why I started my podcast is to talk to quote unquote, non-fashion people or fashion people who have a different perspective on style and clothing who can really change the exclusive nature of the conversation. Because what I found in talking to people is that everyone, regardless of how unfashionable they think they are, has opinions about their clothing. They have that Mm -hmm. favorite piece, that favorite garment, and they have that piece that they absolutely hate. And it doesn't matter if it was decades ago, they can remember all of the details about it or that time that they were shopping and they ended up in tears in the bra section of Macy's, like that also happens Mm -hmm. a lot. And those really joyful moments of like the graduation dress or the wedding dress or the thing that they got handed down from their mother that makes them feel connected or that special thing that they got for that event or that really loved sweatshirt that just like their old college sweatshirt that just has stayed with them for decades. And they still love that too. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, 
right what you said at the at the top that like you know everyone everyone wears clothes um that's that's something that i say a lot because i'm talking about how people are are left out um size-wise most of the time is what i'm focusing on um and the fact that like all people of all sizes need to wear clothing so why wouldn't you want to make clothes accessible for those people to buy even even just on the forget about the the moral part of that but even just on the, the business part of that like don't you want to make the most amount of money possible yeah, so don't you want to make clothes and <laughs> yeah yes and i'm so glad that the, people are finally figuring out that like there's a super underserved market there <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> because mm-hmm. the other thing that you hear is like just kind of anecdotally like everyone dresses the same and then you realize that the majority of americans are not served and can't fit into the majority of clothes hanging on the rack. So of course, the majority of people look exactly the same. And I'm saying that as someone who lives in New York City and has plenty of access to plenty of boutiques and department stores and has all of online that they can search. And it's still... Get on that, businesses. Come on. (laughs) Like... (laughs) this is what like yeah yeah. this is the point yeah (laughs) yeah i mean the the, yeah i i I mean it's stuff that i talk about all the time just and on this podcast and in general just like you know the majority of people wear plus sizes in this country and then only eight percent of clothing stores make clothing for plus sizes so (laughs) i Mm -hmm. mean it's just it's just ridiculous ingrained fat phobia that's uh running rampant in the fashion industry I think it also ties back to what you were talking about, about exclusivity and that aspiration and body shame and body image and are what we think. And again, coming back to those, what we think we should be or think we should look like or think we should want. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that I, I get asked kind of a lot because I... Um, I don't just make clothes. I know I have, I have conversations like this and I share a lot of information in my stories and I am trying to do more than just, just make clothing. Um, and people will say like, well, you know, did you do any other training to like learn how to talk to people or like have these conversations, which to me, the answer is no. I mean, I have, I have an education degree, which I think probably helps a little bit, um, with the explaining of things, but I I don't know if that is necessarily why I am skilled at talking to people do aside from your costume degree have you done any kind of trainings to help facilitate how you have these conversations no i have not (laughs) i think and also and yet i've spent a lot of time maybe because of that thinking about how do you have really good conversations with strangers about really intimate topics (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it the solution, at least for the moment that I've come back to, is um, curiosity. And everyone knows their own story better than you do. Um, oh yeah. So and and I know probably sometimes I know more about the fashion industry than they do, and about how mm-hmm. proportions work on human bodies. But I will never know their body better than they do, or their. Mm-hmm personality or their life or their lifestyle. So while I don't have formal training, I, I 
try to be as conscientious and ethical as possible. Yeah, I mean, I and um, I hope it didn't come off. No, no, way, not I, at all. I don't mean it to be like, <laughs> no. what is your training? No, no, not at all. Yeah. I, again, I also don't have. Um, and it's kind of it kind of happened by accident, you know. Like I uh, just started making clothes for everybody, and and style and clothing is ends up being such a personal topic for a lot of people. And then specifically when you're trying to um, make things more accessible and have these important conversations, it it just leads into more personal conversations and more sensitive conversations. Um, and then especially like, you know, I had a pop-up shop for three months and it just, you know, I curated this, this wonderful safe space. So then people would come into shop and all of a sudden it's just me and them in this little store. And we're having conversations about clothes and why they maybe haven't worn something before, but now they want to try it. And like, you know, it just, it just turns into um, a conversation. And I think when you're somebody who leads with kindness and openness um I think people can feel that and I think that they're maybe so so used to it not being that way when it comes to fashion (laughs) you know (laughs) that they're just like oh finally somebody who you know just just wants to help me (laughs) yeah yeah that that earnestness I think is something that's very lacking in most fashion spaces to the industry's detriment I would say. Yes. 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 I agree. It's, it's so much about um, image, which like to a certain extent, I guess I understand because they're clothes and you wear them on the outside of you. So it's, it's a visual medium, but I think that it becomes too much about like what other people think about what they see you when they see you instead of how you feel. Yes. You know, Yeah. And I think that really touches on the difference between fashion and style. Like I often get asked like, or someone assumes that I do fashion, whereas my background is costume design, which is a whole different medium. And I went into styling, not fashion design, which is again, a whole different medium. And because my client is the client who's wearing the clothes I think a lot about clothing as a multi-sensory experience. Like we mm. experience clothing in a three-dimensional space. We feel it, we hear it, we see it, we smell it. Like fabrics have smells and we mm-hmm. don't generally taste it, but you know, whatever you do you. <laughs> um, and, and fashion, however, is only consumed generally visually. You might have some Mm. touch if you're at a show and like the models are walking past and you have fabric moving through the air, creating like air waves and air patterns. You might hear it if it's a specific material, but it's a very single sensory experience generally, especially when we get then into editorial photo shoots and consuming fashion Mm -hmm. via Pinterest and previously magazines and newspapers and that kind of very one-dimensional thing. And then you think about no one on the red carpet is comfortable. No model in a show is comfortable. But when we're getting dressed in the morning, we want to feel comfortable to an extent. We don't want 
an entire day's worth of pain from our outfit. Like that's a Mm -hmm. huge distinction that we have to make when we're talking about fashion versus style. Yeah, that's, hmm, that's so interesting to me for so many reasons. I, um, yeah, I feel like, I feel like, uh, I have a hard time with when people tell me like, uh, define me as like a fashion industry yeah. professional, even though that, <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, I'm like, literally yes, what I, that's literally also. what I, what I am. <laughs> I, yeah. I am that, yeah. but, but I don't, I don't like being that because, um, fashion was never about fashion, I guess, to me, if that, if that any makes any sense, like I, it's, it, it, it was more about style. It was about personal style. It was about, it was about personal style and it was about like physically making things. Mm-hmm. Like those are the two things that, that make me like fashion. Um, the, the things that you're describing about, you know, editorial spreads and like, you're going to watch a runway show and like um, that, that part of it, I was never interested in zero percent. Um, so there's a real disconnect, you know? And I think about even when, when you just brought up wanting to be comfortable and how so often capital F fashion is not about comfort, right? And models at shows are usually not comfortable. Um, that That's so interesting to me because that's, but then on the, on the flip side, when I'm doing my runway shows and my photo shoots, my model's comfort is like the first thing in my mind. Yay! Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I purposely try to put my models, especially once once they've modeled once right. or twice mm-hmm. or three times mm-hmm. and I, I know them more, um, I, I, it's not that I'm designing for them. I'm making my collection, but then I'm putting models in things that I know that they will like, um, or at least be comfortable in, you know, like maybe they wouldn't have thought of ordering it, but, but they don't feel like it's not them, you know? Um, you know, they, they don't feel like it's not their gender expression or that it's not anywhere near a color palette that they would pick on their own. You know, those things that like, you know, if you're a person who only wears black, I'm not going to put you in like baby pink. Like I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I let my models basically style themselves like aside from the clothes. They pick their own shoes. They do their own makeup. They would do their hair however they want. Um, and I think that conversely to capital F fashion, I think those are things that that the viewer can see. When they, when they come to my shows or when they look at my images, I think they see that the, the models are comfortable, you know, um, which, which at the end of the day, just like you said, like when you're shopping and you're getting dressed, you want to be comfortable. So like, what? <laughs> it's just mind blowing to me that we have an entire industry that's like reads, I am uncomfortable, but then the actual shopping experience of that industry, the people are going to be the happiest if they are comfortable. Yeah. Like that just doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> just one of the like, my brain. <laughs> many kind of out, weird out of whack, out of alignment things that I think the fashion industry is, is having to grapple with. And I'm intrigued to see how a year of sweatpants and pandemic wear influences mm-hmm. the rest of the industry. Like, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And, and what's the backswing after we've all spent a year in our pajamas and, and loungewear and 
Do we all totally keep embracing it? Do we have a little bit of a backswing? How does that all sort itself out? Do we get dressed in like outfits, but realize that like an outfit can be fully comfortable. And that comes into a huge thing about fit. Like you can look like you're Mm -hmm. really well-dressed and still be extraordinarily comfortable. Like the two are not mutually exclusive, which is always my goal with a client. Like (laughs) I want you to be able to walk out of the house with like no prep. You have not spent an hour putting an outfit together this morning. You've thrown Mm -hmm. on something you still look amazing and you still feel amazing and you feel comfortable and you feel like yourself. And that's like the, always the aim to go for. Yeah. That's, that's such a huge thing for me. I mean, my, my personal style, um, when I'm going somewhere, I'm always like the person that's, that's more dressed up than everyone else is. Um, unless I'm in like a very specific group of friends mm-hmm. where like, we're all that person. Mm-hmm. When we're <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, so being inside for this past year and not, and not having a reason to go anywhere, um, is, is hurting me because I mean, I, I like having places to put an outfit together for and like wear your heels and like do that thing. But at the same time, I think people who may not know me might assume that like, that's not comfortable, but like that is comfort Mm -hmm. for me, you know? So I think it's, it's important to, to recognize that like everyone's comfort is different and also there's no one way for comfort to look and like like you were just saying that that really ties back into fit that like if something fits you really well um it it doesn't mean that you're wearing sweatpants Mm -hmm. and a sweatshirt like you can be wearing a pair of pants that actually fit because comfortable pants do exist yes they do (laughs) um you know, and a beautiful top and even a blazer and you could be comfortable. Yeah. It's, it's about, it's about good fabric. It's about things that fit you well. Um, it's about quality. Um, and all of that should be available to everyone. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like, <laughs> there's different, I think the very first season of the podcast I did was about all about the topic of comfort because I find it such a fascinating topic because everyone's definition of comfortable is different. Like mm-hmm. some, you have physical comfort, you have emotional comfort, you have psychological comfort, you have the comfort that comes from being confident and self-assured in what you're wearing and how you look. And there's so many mm-hmm. angles to it. And, and coming back to fit, kind of thinking back to what I previously said about models not being comfortable on runways and in editorials, it it depends a lot on what the item is and also remembering that they have gotten comfortable with a level of discomfort that most of us haven't. Mm-hmm. They, I, I remember having worked with models who were like, they did lingerie shoots at like the end of the day and they hadn't eaten all day and that was perfectly normal for them. And I was like, how does your body function? <laughs> but like. <laughs> my my I get cranky after like a couple hours of not having a snack like that's a different (laughs) level of physicality and models being pressured to diet and having bodies is a whole other tangent and conversation that 
is different and I still think she should have eaten something and still would have looked amazing that night. Like that's right, 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 <laughs> like, right. and her personal standard of what she considered to be her job requirement was different than what I considered would consider her job requirement to be, but different, different discussion. So, right. and our bodies can also get comfortable in different types of garments. If you've been wearing sweatpants nonstop for months, your jeans are going to feel a little weird. <laughs> right. Like it's not that they don't fit. It's not that they're uncomfortable. It's just that you've been wearing something that sits and hugs in a different part of your body for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. I think about this because my background is costume design in like period uh, undergarments a lot, which first mm-hmm. of all, if it's uncomfortable, it doesn't fit, get a better fit. Second of <laughs> all, like those are, those undergarments were originally designed to be worn by the same person for an extended period of time so that the garment could shape to your body. Like the right. fabric would break in. It's similar to how like a really old flannel shirt feels softer and more comfortable than a brand new flannel shirt, even though they're the same Mm -hmm. item of clothing or a pair of jeans or a pair of boots, like a leather boots or whatever. It, it, there's a level of body garment interaction that I think we have forgotten can happen it's that comfort Mm -hmm. of like a really trusted old jacket that like feels amazing maybe it's a little worn but like it still feels amazing that I think fast fashion and disposable fashion has really we've really lost something there because there's an intimacy Mm -hmm. that comes from building a relationship with the items that are closest to you like we are very close to our clothing (laughs) physically close. (laughs) And, and so when we have really extraordinary pieces that feel like us and that we can develop that long-term relationship with, I think that gives us a level of comfort that we don't get in many other places. Yeah, that's, that's a really lovely thought, you know, Um, that's something that is really important to me also that I, that I talk about a lot is like, the reason that you want to have things that fit you well and are made with good fabrics is because they'll last longer, but you also have to want to keep them longer. So like you, that should be part of what's happening in your mind when you're deciding if you're going to buy something. And that is very antithesis of fast fashion. And, and, and the um, fast fashion isn't just about like, Oh, we make so much stuff and we make it cheap. The reason that they do that is because they're also training you to think that, I bought this thing for this one occasion. I'm going to wear it that one time. I'm going to take this Instagram photo and then I'm then just going to sit in the back of my closet and I'm not going to wear it again. But it served its purpose because I bought it for this thing instead of buying clothing because it feels like you and it fits and you love it. And there's a lot of different ways for you to wear it. There's a lot of different outfits or um, items in your closet you can mix and match it with. You know, it, it works for your lifestyle, for your personal um accessibility to taking Mm -hmm. care of things Mm -hmm. to storing Mm -hmm. things you know that's different for every for every person yeah um and we all have different lives yeah (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and it's it's one of the reasons that I don't just like take people out shopping the first time like it 
so many people I encounter haven't thought through all of these elements because they're like, why I don't, why would I like, this isn't something Mm -hmm. that people do. So when we really think through what they want their life and closet to look like, what they want it to be and how they want it to feel, we can get really clear. And suddenly the number of individual items that we need to buy plummets. Like suddenly we're not replacing Mm -hmm. your entire wardrobe. We're adding a couple pieces here and there to make that skirt that you love, but never wear because you don't know what to wear it with. Plus that dress, plus those pants, plus that blouse. We add a couple items here or there and suddenly all of those can come together and you can actually wear what you want to wear. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's great. Um, so circling back to your podcast, when, when did you start it? And, and, um, I mean, I know you mentioned that you wanted to do it so you could talk to people who have lots of different thoughts and opinions about, about, um, clothing in general, but what was your initial, like, Hmm, you know what? I think I'm going to start a podcast to add to this style (laughs) styling, uh, career. Yeah. It, it really came out of the conversations I was already having, Um, it, we start, I started, um, thinking about it and kind of like gathering conversations and people and like testing it out to be like, does anyone actually want to have this conversation with me on, and then put it out (laughs) on the internet for like everyone to consume. Um, and Mm -hmm. I, it turns out people did and, and they loved it. And, um, so it started actually in January, 2020. Um, and I, okay. I was actually planning on releasing the, a collection of conversations all about shopping on like March 15th, but, uh, pretty quickly pivoted. I was like, I love talking about shopping. These are really deep, important conversations. Maybe not when there's like triage tents, like blocks away from my apartment. Like that just seems like bad timing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that that day yeah. is tough. <laughs> yeah, 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 it was like, oh, got it. So I then did like a solo season all about a project I had done in my early 20s where I made all of the clothes I wore for a year. Uh, and mm. just to really like, I was like, this I can at least like have more autonomy about timing and what kind conver- what it sounds like. And, and there are threads between staying at home and making your clothes for a year because it takes a lot of time. So my social life kind of tanked that year and staying at home because you have to during a global pandemic <laughs> mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. kind of lessons that I learned that year about, intention and being very mindful and and just thinking through the very next step and like how do you take this overwhelming idea of making all your clothes or facing a global pandemic and wrap your head around it so i released that throughout the like uh april like spring and summer and then released that shopping season in the fall i was like we have at least come to a point where I can say these were all filmed and recorded pre-pandemic. This is what shopping was mm-hmm. like. It will be very different when we can all do that again. And so that was, yeah. Hmm. Okay. It was, a fun, cool. it was an interesting yeah. first couple months to uh, launch a podcast into. 
And then when did you, because I listened to some of your newer mm-hmm. episodes, so those are the ones that are more interviews with people. When did you, uh, is that like the next season? When did that start? Yeah, so that was the shopping season. And then I wrapped up the year with a season all about kind of changes that people were going through about changes mm. with our bodies and changes just how we're dressing and like pre and post pandemic changes of, and also like broader life changes that had brought people to the point where they could be more okay with pandemic times. So we talked all about really just how your wardrobe changes when your life changes and how the two Mm -hmm. interplay and and play together. Awesome. So I don't know if this is the case for you. Um, I think sometimes folks assume that I know more designers or more seamstresses or more fashion educators than I actually do. So I don't know if that's also the case with you and and stylists. But but if you feel like you're a part of the stylist industry at all, what are some things that you would like to see change about how the stylist industry is is run and, and works? Yeah, I... I know a surprisingly few number of stylists for like, I I feel like everyone says it's really easy to network with people that do the same job as you do, but I have not found that to be true. And maybe that's just an industry thing. So. Um, maybe it goes back to that like exclusivity and like ladder yeah. culture that exists so much in fashion and the idea that if someone's up, someone else has to be down and that zero sumness of it, um, yeah. which I might be saying like, that might be what I changed. Probably. I think that yeah. it has the possibility to be so incredible and there are pockets of it that are like really supportive and beautiful. And then there are pockets that are very much not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I, I kind of compare that sometimes to, so I went to FIT for fashion design and then I transferred to Pratt Institute and that's where I got my education degree. Um, and I sometimes, if I'm talking about that with people in the fashion industry and what I don't like about it, I will I will use those school experiences as very succinct um looks into those industries and and how people behave and like the biggest reason I didn't love FIT I went there for two years I finished my associates but then you can either choose to go on or you can Mm -hmm. leave Mm -hmm. and I chose to leave mostly because I didn't like the environment of the school and the environment of the school felt very fashion industry Mm -hmm. it felt very competitive it felt very um, image based, yeah. if you know, and and, and to people who that's their jam, right. they probably like right. it, but that's not my jam. Right. So I, so it just wasn't my environment. And then conversely, when I went to Pratt, Pratt is more an art school mm-hmm. that happens to also have fashion design, although that's not what I went there for, um, and architecture and things like that. But but it's it's definitely an art school, and it has a completely different vibe. People are helpful of each other. You know, no one's like, don't show your sketchbook to anyone because they're going to steal your ideas, which is literally what I was told at FIT. Um, so, you know, it's it's a very, very different vibe. So so I think that what you're saying about like 
maybe it's hard to network with people in the fashion industry who do similar things to you because everyone treats it that mm-hmm. way. I mean, yeah. I, a thousand percent yeah. agree. Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. thousand percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a kind of like oh. a sub point to that is the idea in fashion that if you're not competitive, you're not ambitious. Cause I would consider myself a very ambitious person. Like there's a lot I want to mm. do in the world, but I don't consider myself a like head to head competitive person. Like I love being competitive with myself. I love doing better than I did. I want every episode and every season to be better than it was. And I always want to be becoming a better interviewer and a better producer and a better host and a better stylist and better with my clients and being better. But I don't necessarily think that that's me competing with other people in my field. Mm -hmm. I agree with that so hard. I think, you know, that's definitely something that I've heard that like, like they attribute or equate, um, being competitive with others to being ambitious. Mm-hmm. And I identify very strongly with being an ambition per- ambitious person, but I am not a competitive person either. And I I want there to be more ethical in the small, inclusive fashion design companies. I don't want there to be less. I don't I don't want there to only be me. Right. And, and you know, and and the few other um brands that are popping up here and there and and also the few brands who have existed for a very long time that almost nobody knows mm-hmm. about unless you're specifically in that fat community and you're looking at those plus size designers like there, there needs to be more not less there people wear tons of clothes there's lots tons mm-hmm. of people we all wear clothing there can always be more options i'm not interested in being the most inclusive the only the first like uh, whatever like i <laughs> And um, I do a little bit of consulting work through design as well. And I and I was helping, I was having a consult call with a man and I was giving him, quite honestly, probably too much information yeah. and I wasn't even paid <laughs> for it yet. Um, but I was trying to set him up to then be a consult client. And, and before I even honestly explained that much, I was just explaining like, this is how the fashion industry works. And he literally was like on the phone, I was like, can I ask you a weird questions? So I was like, yeah, he's like, why do you want to help me? (laughs) He was like, he was like literally couldn't wrap his mind around somebody who also is a designer wanting to help him be a designer. And I was like, that's so sad. Like, like I don't want to be the only designer in the world. You can also be a designer and be successful and it's not going to take anything away from my success. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, this is also speculating wildly, but I think it is tied (laughs) back to the profit structure of the fashion industry. Like it's Mm -hmm. so much a pyramid. There's so much at the very tippy tip top. And there's like, like it gets so dispersed and like barely any trickles down to like the very bottom that is supporting this entire behemoth industry structure And Mm -hmm. it, there's always this need for more and new and next. And it's set like, and I I also partly say this because I'm not a designer in it trying to like, you know, figure out how to make it work in there. And, but it seems like it's always about what's novel, not necessarily what's um, 
not just sustainable from like an environmental level, but sustainable for an industry as a whole. Yeah. Like how, like when you see top designer firms and houses going bankrupt, like regularly, Mm -hmm. that's not like sound. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I actually just did, um, oh man, when was it? A few weeks ago, maybe I did a series of reels on my Instagram about, um, how I, as one person with no funding, managed to keep my business going through a pandemic and like be able to do better and pivot and figure shit out in comparison to these giant companies who have so much money just immediately being like, we're filing for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. We're closing 200 stores. Mm -hmm. I was like, what line were all of y'all living on that like three months worth of bad sales and not even no sales, just like not as great Mm -hmm. sales. And you're like, we're done. We're bankrupt. Yeah. And that really like calls into question the cash flow of fast fashion. Like if you're having to produce mm-hmm. clothing for so cheap, like I mentioned mm-hmm. the year I only made my clothes, I ended up with like 30 pieces by the end of the year. And when you, because clothing takes a lot of time and a, like resources in various ways of fibers and fabrics and that sort of thing. And so when you're thinking about like how is a t-shirt profitable, you start to then question the rest. Like how is this many t-shirts profitable? Like what is going mm-hmm. on and how if, if that's the case and if it really – if like giant corporations are really towing that line when it comes to cash flow – suddenly the competitiveness makes a lot of sense. And that doesn't mean you have to be competitive to survive. It means that you need to change the model that you're thriving within. Correct. Correct. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I couldn't agree more. The model at the top top is so broken. <laughs> and it's not necessary. It's like, you know, um, now, now my dog is here. Hi. Thanks for cutting me off and losing me. I'm losing my train of thought. Um, oh, yeah. So what I was going to say. So the, the model is so broken to the fact where, you know, I, I um, not right now, but pre-pandemic was teaching a business course at um, Parsons and New School mm-hmm. um, about fashion and specifically the New York City fashion industry. But I, I kind of broadened it a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and... I added in a, in a day uh, that was not in the original syllabus where I talked about plus size fashion and sustainable fashion and adaptable, accessible fashion. And I had a student look at me in the face after I gave statistics about the amount of uh, disabled folks who are in this country and the income that they have and the income that they and their caregivers have and how little they're being served. And she was like, I just don't know if that's like a viable business option to make clothes for disabled people. Cause it's just like not that big of the population. And I was like, um, also not every company needs to be target. Mm-hmm. Not every, co- not every fashion company needs to be, um, 
you know, some some giant business that's that's got <clears throat> excuse me got a thousand stores and and sold worldwide and has licensing deals and like like this idea that like a fashion brand has to be this and it can't just be like a small to mid-sized business that has a niche and serves that customer and does it well and makes a living like that's also an option yeah Yeah, it's like (laughs) i i forget who to credit this to but the i which is really disappointing but the idea of we need both broad and deep sustainable solutions. So we need, from an environmental sustainability perspective of resource management, we need the targets to be sustainable and to do sustainability. And we also need the small indie, like definitely small businesses to be sustainable too. And the solution is not one or the other, but it's both. We need the giant Mm -hmm. corporations to make the tiny little incrementally very slow crawling towards sustainable sustainability the little steps that they are making because they have this huge reach and they have the supply sourcing options to really develop technologies and resources and business practices and that sort of thing and also we need the really innovative like serving large portions of the market, but that don't make sense for like a behemoth corporation to serve. We need both of these to be functional. And the idea that you have to be a behemoth to be anything at all Mm -hmm. isn't true. Yeah, it's not true. And and it's it's harmful in a lot of ways um, to both the planet and also people. But um. I think that's a very similar thought pattern to something that I bring up a lot in this podcast that like um, to any of these problems that we're talking about or like systemic issues that we're discussing, there isn't like a bandaid of like, okay, boop, (laughs) we fixed that. It's done now. Like you got to, you have to attack it at every level. You have to, you know, talk to human beings one-on-one. You have to, uh, address it in whatever like social circles you're in. You have to address it at whatever work circles you're in. You have to look at like what pow- what positions of power am I a part of? Or, or like, you know, if you're somebody who's in charge of hiring people, mm-hmm. what can you do there? If you're somebody who creates art, what can you do there? Like everybody needs to think about what they can do in their lives and if everyone is doing that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> at all levels, yeah. then that's how things get solved. It's not like one magical being like waves a wand and it's like, okay, this problem is solved now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like <laughs> nothing it, works that way. No one is coming to save us. We all need to save ourselves together. And like, right. that doesn't mean competing more. That means being better, like almost neighbors in some weird mm way of Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of thing. <laughs> like that's yeah. Yeah. Like no, how, but it's yeah, true. how are you contributing in the ways that you can? And and that really comes back to kind of coming way full circle back to the whole idea of confidence and showing up. Like how do you if you think that you don't have an impact you're not going to have the impact that you have and you're not going to be intentional with the impact that you have. And what's really true is that we all have impact. We have 
voices and we have people and we have resources, regardless of how little we think we have, we can always do more than we assume that we can, or we can be more effective than we assume we are. Mm, yeah, I like that a lot. I think I agree. Um, so typically at the end of the, the podcast, I ask folks for like an advice or motivational type of thing to say to people, but I think I'm going to twist it a little bit to be, um, just tailored to what you do in the, in this, in this conversation we've had. So what is one thing that you might say to somebody who, you know, prior to hiring somebody like you, like maybe, or maybe they don't have, you know, expendable cash to hire somebody right now. Um, what is something that they can do, like looking at their closet to like, just make it feel a little bit less overwhelming? Yeah, that's a, yeah, the overwhelm is huge. It's, there's so much that so many of us don't wear in our closets. And I would say, start there. Like the biggest fear I've seen when it comes to getting rid of clothes is like, what if I have nothing to wear? Like, what if I just don't have the options? What if I have not, like, what if I just don't have anything? Like, what if I have to get rid of everything? What if I've made terrible choices every time I've gone shopping for the past decades, which is like, maybe true, but like, I don't want to admit <laughs> it. Like, what if that happens? Like, where will I be? What if I've totally screwed up my wardrobe and like, really do have to do a whole deep, like, replacement? I don't, I don't want to think about that. And the, the reality is that we all have gems in our closets. We have all mm -hmm. bought those things that we love. And I'm sure there's something that you put on and just feel amazing in. Like there's, there's, if there's one thing, you're good. Um, and if you're not wearing it anyway, you're not actually getting rid of any choices. Mm. You're, you're just acknowledging choices that you've already made. Like, honestly. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. don't pick it up, if you don't put it on or you put it on, you get dressed in the morning, you, then you, you take it off right before you go out the door. Like you've already chosen not to wear it. Right. Right. Just have to be accepting of that yeah. choice that you've actually already made. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so how should folks find you slash and or follow you on the internet? Yeah, yeah. So you can find my podcast uh, talking about clothes with Holly Shays on pretty much every podcast uh, listening app, downloady, <laughs> streamy thingy. Um, and my website, which is the best way to find out what I'm up to and get in touch and stay in touch is whowhoo.com. Similar to the idea of like, do you wear your clothes or do your clothes wear you? Mm, wonderful. So I will hyperlink all of those things in the show notes. So you can also just go straight there and click them and you don't even have to do a Google. How easy. <laughs> so easy. So easy. Thank you so much, Holly. Cool. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Fashion for All. Please be sure to check our show notes for information and links to our guests and their work. Be sure to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform of choice and leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. 
For more Smart Glamour goodness, you can head to smartglamour.com and follow us on Facebook at backslash smartglamour and Instagram at smart underscore glamour. Thanks.